Uh, I was thinking as we were um, getting our mindset ready for this season of Advent, uh, one of the things that was really important for us as we were praying through where we wanted to go this Advent season, Advent is kind of the beginning, and its anticipation is another uh, word that is associated with Advent, and we were really looking at the year that we've had. How many think that this has been a weird year? <laughs> All the hands go, whoosh, you know, I could even hear the roar online coming through. It has been a weird year. So we, we were really thinking about, you know, what is a way that uh, we feel that God wants to bless us during this holiday season? And, and as we were evaluating like you and living through this weird season that we're in and all the things and complications not only happening in our country but in our community and the world, we said that the word that we really felt that God was speaking heavy upon our hearts was the word hope. How many love the word hope? I mean, hope is a, is a word that just gives us such great anticipation. It gives us the opportunity to just uh, wander and wonder of what is coming next. And we said this is a season to talk about hope, but also to, to tie it in into what the significance of what the Christmas season is. So we're, we're looking at a, a series called Hope is Born. And over the next couple of weeks into Christmas Eve and even after that, our hope is, is that you, uh, along with us, that we together can experience the different facets of hope. So today we're going to talk about hope waits. So that's kind of our, our focus point for today. And, and thinking about that topic, hope waits, uh, let me just ask you a quick question this morning. Those of you that are with us um, online, um, I want you to chat about this as, as I'm talking. So uh, think about um, what it means to wait. I mean, have you ever, who, who has used Google Maps at all when you're in the car? Anybody? A couple of folks? Yeah. You know, uh, Patty, my wife, has, has a car that has, a, mine doesn't have it, but hers has it, a nice navigation system. Mine, that's why I'm always wrong way, Martin, because my car didn't have a navigation system. But so we'll type in where we want to go, and it, and it keys in, and off we go. And as we're driving, uh, the coolest thing happens. All of a sudden, we'll hear this voice. It'll just pop in like this disembodied voice. I can cut three seconds off of your journey. Press the button for the new route. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, buddy, and you hit the button, and you make that quick left turn, and you're on some side roads and stuff, but you get there sooner. And that's kind of how we're, we're wired, isn't it? That we, we're a people that, that aren't really patient. Um, we're people that really doesn't like to wait. I mean, I, I haven't met anybody yet who has said, you know, my goal in life is to be a wait, to be a waiter, a person who waits on everything. I mean, I think we're kind of wired that, that we want everything like instant and satisfaction, and we want to make sure that we get where we're going and the things that are happening really quickly. But waiting, waiting is something that we all have to do. Waiting is one of those components that, that, that really tests the metal of our character um, did, did you know that we spend half of our life waiting? I mean, you know, listen, I'm a nerd. I look this stuff up. So, uh, you know, we spend half of our life waiting. And I was thinking about, you know, like you, in, in, uh, this year was a year that we were going to do a nice trip. It was our 35th wedding anniversary. We were going to try to go to Europe. And I had to wait hours on the phone so that I could talk to somebody about getting our money back on some airfare. So, so waiting is always happening and the things, but, but waiting is, is, is something that we live with. You go to your favorite restaurant, how many use like open table and you, you go and, and listen, these are all of our paid advertisers, that's why I'm throwing all these names out, not really, they're not. Uh, how many use open table so that you like book your favorite restaurant, you, you say, here's a reservation I want to go. Anybody else do that? Again, why do we do that? Because we don't want to wait. But how many times do you get to the restaurant, you know, Bob, party of two at 6.30, at 6.30, well, you'll have to wait at least 15 minutes before your table's ready. I mean, so we don't like to wait, but waiting is a part of who we are. It just seems like all we, we have to do is, is wait. We want to have this mad rush to hurry up and get to the next thing that we have to do in life, 
and whatever it takes to get us there. You know, somebody did a calculation and said that we actually spend six months of our lives waiting at stoplights. Five years of our lives waiting in lines. This year I drove, or I, I added to my repertoire the Uber driver for the grandkids after school, so now I'm in car line. So I'm sure that's gonna turn into 10 years of my life just sitting in and waiting for those kind of things. Someone picked up the fact that we spend so much time waiting that they wanted to come up with some sayings about waiting. And here's a couple of sayings that maybe you're aware of. Here's one saying, good things come to those who wait. Anybody ever heard that one? Here's another one. Some things are worth waiting for. When I was a kid, my favorite commercial was where they took the two ketchup bottles and they turned them upside down. Anybody, I'm seeing some head shake here. So there's a couple people as old as me, right? And, and, and it was kind of like, you know, that song, anticipation. And that's another word for wait. And they try to kind of like, you know, make it look a little bit nicer. And, and so we're constantly waiting on things and to see what comes from that. So let me ask you this question. Those of you that are online, I, I want you to, to chat about this too. If you had to wait for something all of your life in order to get it, what would it be? So think about that. In the, in the room, online, if you had to wait all of your life to get what you want, what would it be? And let's just kind of think about that for a second. I mean, would you wait a lifetime to marry the person that's the best person in your life? Would you wait a lifetime for that? Would you, would you wait a, a lifetime? Would you stay in a, a job that you don't like and just kind of slog along and just kind of go through the motions until the right opportunity came up so that you could actually, would you, would you spend a lifetime doing work you don't like, hoping that that one thing comes that makes a difference? It's waiting. So this morning, I wanna, I wanna take two people that are in Luke's Gospel, chapter two, Simeon and Anna, so a male and a female, and I'm gonna take two people that we can learn a lot about waiting as we think about hope and what it means to wait in this season uh, moving into Christmas. So let's look at Simeon first. Um, you know, so let's, let's look at Luke chapter two, verse 25 through 26. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Now, now you know, that'd be, that'd be kinda like you know, saying there's a guy named Joe, or there's a guy named Frank, or a person whose last name is Smith, or Martin. Simeon was a common name in the region, okay? So we really don't know who this guy is, but what it says is this guy named Simeon who was righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel was the redemption. He was waiting for God to redeem Israel that God had promised that God was gonna do. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So now, now it's pointing out that the Holy Spirit is working in the life of this guy Simeon, who is devout and, and who is righteous, who's waiting for the redemption of Israel, the Holy Spirit's involved, so this guy must be somebody important. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So think about this for a second. So Simeon's, Simeon's likely an old man. When, when, when God says to him through the Holy Spirit, you are not gonna die until you see the Messiah. Not until you hear that the Messiah's come, or you know when it might happen, or whatever the case is, but when you see the Messiah, you're gonna live until you actually put eyes on the Messiah, the one who's going to redeem Israel. So what do we know about Simeon? We know he's righteous, 
and we know that he's devout. What does that mean? It, it means that, that he's somebody who, who um, is obedient, okay? We'll throw that word in. So why is he obedient? He's the kind of guy who reads his scripture. He, so he's reading the Torah. He's reading the writings of the prophets. He's, you know, he's, he's listening, and he's, he's yearning for what God is trying to say. He's, he's reading that. He's applying it in his life. He's living life under the commands of what God is saying, that this is the righteous life I want you to have. That is who Simeon is that we learn about in this particular point. So, so that obedience is having him hang in there to believe that he is not gonna die until God brings the Messiah into his presence. So Simeon is a man of hope, okay? Now hope, uh, we think about hope as being special, we think about hope as being good, I mean all of these are words that describe that, but here's some other things, you know, hope comes with a, with a multitude of emotions, hope comes with desire, so if we're hoping, we're desiring something. Hope, hope comes with fear, so we're hoping something happened, but, but there's that voice in the back of our head that's going like, it might not. What are you going to do if it doesn't? What's your plan B? So hope comes with fear. Hope can be frustrating. It can cause impatience. Hope, hope can uh, be something that's discouraging. I mean, here's an example. So think about, um, let's say you're a child and you're, and you're living um, without parents and, and, and you're hoping hoping somebody's going to come adopt you. You're just hoping that someone will, will love you enough to come adopt you. So you have this hope of anticipation. You have this hope driving this goal that you have. But as every family comes and, and looks at your file and, and you're in and out of foster care and things like that, it, it, when families aren't prepared to adopt you, your hope begins to drain. It begins to, to move down. And you start beginning to become fearful and you lose hope. So hope is something that, that is a plethora of emotions. And we need to be aware of what it does. But here's the tricky thing. Hope is vulnerable. Hope is vulnerable. Hope can, can make us get to a point where, where, where we can feel wounded. It, it creates the possibility of disappointments. But yet in the midst of that, um, it, it also makes us to yearn for what can be. The writer of the Proverbs said it this way, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So hope that hasn't happened yet makes our hearts sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So when, when our hope becomes real, we begin to see, wow, this is something we can celebrate. We can be excited about it. It's what God promised, and we can see that. So some of the greatest blessings, though, when we're hoping, come when we're patient, come when we're waiting. Now we're back to that word again, waiting. The word that, that we don't like, the word that we're not tuned into, the word that we would just rather not deal with, because who wants to wait on anything? But, but how many of us have beat ourselves up in life and say, but if only I had waited and I didn't jump into that new relationship after the old relationship, if only I had waited. Or some of us might say, well, if only I hadn't spent all my money the way that I spent it, I'd still have some money that I could live on today. Some of us would say that. Some of us would say, if I hadn't said those words to that person, if they hadn't just come out of my mouth the way that they did and the time that they did, if I hadn't just done that, if I could have just pulled that back, if I'd have waited before I spoke, things would be different. Anybody ever kind of do that? Man, I know I have, and, and here's kind of what I've learned from that is that stuff happens, okay? And, and we have to be careful that we don't beat ourselves up when it happens because, because we are people that will make decisions that cause those things to happen. And we have to trust that the grace of God, that with God comes this yearning, that God says, if you'll just listen to me, 
And before you respond and react to things, if you will just trust me, I'll make sure that when it unfolds, it's right. You see, sometimes God calls us to wait, and, and it's not a glamorous task, but, but it, it's, a, it's a calling to wait. I've shared with you, you know, through the years that, that my call to ministry happened earlier in life before I accepted it, and, and part of it was just my own stubbornness because I didn't want to be a pastor. I, I was a businessman. I loved being a businessman. I didn't want to be a pastor. And, 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 but God said, you know, during this waiting period, I'm going to reveal things to you, and I'm going to help you understand what this call is about so that you'll be prepared for that. I think a part of um, every maturing Christian's life is the waiting period. I think that, that as we mature in our faith, if we look back on it, we find out that we've had to wait on some things. We've had to wait and be patient to see things develop. We've had to see the scars and the hurts, the problems that we wanted to fix, but yet they didn't get fixed quickly. And through that, how God revealed God's self in a magnificent way. But you see, too many of us today, we, we kind of fall prey to this. We say, like, I know what my goals are. In fact, I know what God wants me to do. But man, I can't wait anymore. I'm just going to go do it. And when we get ahead of God, oftentimes it doesn't work out. Because we're like before the creator. We're like advanced. And God's behind us. And we're just running out. Hey, I want, I want what's been promised. And God says, wait. Simeon was a man who waited. Like his contemporaries, he, he saw what was going on in his environment. He, he realized that, that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him something powerful, that the Holy Spirit had said, Simeon, you will see the Messiah, the Christ, before you die. So quit thinking about you're an old man and you're going to die. The Messiah is coming, and I promise you, is what the Holy Spirit is saying, is that this will happen. So, so Simeon gets this promise, and every day he is faithful, he is obedient. He goes to the temple courts, and he is waiting. He is waiting patiently for God to do what God has said and promised all along. And one day, Simeon finds himself in the temple courts, and it's at that moment that Joseph and Mary walk in. And Simeon is, 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 is perplexed, but yet he's in awe. And Joseph and Mary come forward and Simeon grabs the Christ child, grabs Jesus. And he knows at that very moment that the waiting is over, that patience has paid off. Here's how Luke writes it. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, that'd be Mary and Joseph, to do for him what was custom that the law required, that's circumcision, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, meaning I can now die a fulfilled life. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the redemption. I know what you have told me is true. You have made it happen, and I've waited, and now I see. If we read a little further down in this chapter 2 of Luke, we, we, we discover Anna. Anna is a, is a prophetess, and, and um, she's a person. Luke says that, um, that she, she lived with her husband for, for, or for seven years. And, and so if we were to look, you know, um, genealogy-wise, if we were to kind of look at um, stage of life and all, in those days, Anna likely would have been married at the age of 12, Okay? So she lived with her husband seven years, becomes widowed. So she's a widow at the age of 19. And, and some of the scriptures say that for 84 years, she lived as a widow. 
And some other interpretations say that, that until her 84th birthday she lived, or she lived up through her 84th birthday. So whether, whether the, your translation says for 84 years she lived as a widow, which means 84 plus 19 would be, what, 103? Or 84. I mean, so she's in between 84 and 103. But here's a woman who remained alone in her life. Now think about this. It was extremely vulnerable for a woman to do this during this particular period of time. Because a woman had no identity. She had no wealth. She had no means to which to work. Everything was tied to the males. It was a patriarchal community and society. You know, but, but Anna risked it all and said, I'm not going to go find a husband. I'm not going to go remarry. I'm, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to just be a prayer. And I'm going to just trust in God in all these things of my life. And we learned that in her life, significant things happened. Significant things happened. And she finds out that hope is what's driving her because she becomes aware of this Messiah. And like Simeon, she's hoping and waiting for this truth to come. In 63 BC, Pompey, a great conqueror, with the Roman army, comes in and sweeps into Jerusalem. They go into the temple. They ransack the temple. Uh, they ransack the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the place where the Israelites felt that God physically existed. And only one person, the high priest, was ever allowed in the Holy of Holies. In fact, it was such a place in, in, in the whole respect and fear of God that they felt that, that God would judge the high priest when he get, went into that area. And that's why they tied a, a rope with a bell around the waist of the, of the high priest. The high priest would go in on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement for all of God's people. And he would go in there, and while he's walking around, they could hear the bell ringing. He must be worthy before God. But heaven forbid, if he wasn't, then they wouldn't hear the bell ringing. That's why they had the rope, so they could pull his dead body out. Because this was a place in, in fear and respect of holiness with God. Pompey desecrates this place. But Anna continues to pray. For 64 years, Anna is in this complex relationship after what Pompey did, and yet she chooses daily to go into the, the place of the temple, into the remnants of what is there. And she continues to pray in obedience and hope and waiting for God to deliver what God had promised. So we think about that. Of all these things that were going through the minds of Simeon and Anna, you know, their families, and, or where they had been taken care of, how am I going to make ends meet? Do I have this? Do I have that? I mean, all the complex issues that we deal with. Think about what you deal with in your life every day. Are my kids going to be okay? Is my job going to be all right? Or am I going to lose my job because of COVID? Will my retirement funds last as long as I need to? All the thousands of different things are on our minds. And so it was with Anna and Simeon. They were no different. But yet, they were able to laser focus on the hope of what God had promised. They were able to push aside, to cast aside all of those competing forces in their life and focus that the Messiah was coming and that Jesus would be the one that would save the people History has shown that, that the kingdom did not come as expected. All was not well during Simeon and Anna's day. Likewise, um, we who are Luke's modern day audience, our world and our society is not all well either. Luke writes about the birth of the Savior. He talks about the tensions between Judea 
and, and Rome and, and, and the empire, how it was intensifying, how taxation was, was stripping the wealth and the ability of people to, to live by means, how the emperor Caligula was a horrible, horrible Caesar and he was doing outrageous things. The zealots were seeing that we've got to revolt and they were going to the streets and they were burning buildings and rioting and all the things that came with that. And they wanted to gain control of their state again because they didn't like what Rome was doing. Clashes between Jews and, and the Romans continued to go up. And we learn later on, especially as Matthew writes, that a, a million plus Jews are slaughtered because of the tension that's happening. This is the audience that Luke writes to. This is the audience that are you and me, that in the midst of how we see our world today, how we see our politics, how we see our poverty, how we see this virus, how we see whatever it is that we're dealing with, Luke writes to us today, and he says, you will find a baby. You will find a child in a food trough, a manger, and he will be Christ the Lord. And it's with that hope and promise that we read the words of Luke today. Luke helps us to understand that yes, even in the midst of, of what we think is a horrible, horrible environment that we live in today, that Christmas will still come. That even though we're challenged, even though we live fearful, even though we feel like we're without, the Christ child and the promise of the future will arrive. Luke's current audience, we know well, it's us. And we come with that as we understand that inside the church, we hear the gospel's powerful words. We worship virtually. We worship inside of a building. We're inspired by great music, all the while knowing that our world is not well. And it begs the question that lurking beyond these walls is pain and protest and suffering and hardship and residing deep in our hearts is not joy, hope, and love and peace, but instead is fear disappointment, discouragement. And the Holy Spirit says to you and me today, the Messiah is coming. The promise is real. Jesus is alive. He will be here. Let me ask a couple of questions this morning. Kind of as we finish up, I, I think it's important for us to put this in proper perspective. What are you waiting for? You know, some of us are kind of on pins and needles. Some of us might feel lost. Some of us might feel we're not sure what, what the next day will bring or what, what tomorrow might be or what is. What is it that you want? What is it that you're waiting for? Are you so lonely in life right now that you're willing to lower the bar and jump into any relationship that's out there? just so you don't have to be lonely anymore? Maybe God is saying, wait. Wait, the right relationship is coming. Maybe you're at a place where, where you're not happy in your job and, and, and another employer's like dangling this uh, outrageous offer that's like uh, great in front of you and you're going like, it's too good to be true. And something's inside of you going like, this just doesn't feel right. Maybe instead of just jumping into the grass is greener on the next event and just jumping into that, maybe the Lord is saying, wait. Wait and see what's coming. Maybe someone's challenged you recently 
and you just want to fire words back at them that are just going to rip them to the core. You're just going to let them have it because they deserve to hear, how dare they say this to you? They've offended you. I'm just going to let them have it. Maybe the Lord is saying, don't speak. Pull back. Wait. Listen to what I have to say. Maybe you're overwhelmed by life's decisions right now. Maybe you're just ready to just do whatever. Well, I, I need to make a decision. I'm stuck. Let me just make a decision. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, be patient. I know it feels like it's not a good place to be. I know you're struggling. But be patient and wait. What gave Simeon, what gave Anna the strength and courage to hope in the Lord they waited for God's timing. And when God's timing developed, it happened, just as God had said. You see, the Christmas season is all about a gift. It's not really what we get under the tree and take back in exchange for credit. It's the gift of God's love and grace. It's the flesh that God loved us so much and loves us so much that he chose to come into this world and that he promises he will come again. So the gift of Christmas is the Christ. In a world that seems filled with death and despair and disappointment, we need to hold on to the truth that Christmas reminds us that with the Lord, hope is born.